Hi, I'm John Kerwin. Welcome to my podcast, Open Minded, the show all about mental well-being. Each episode, I interview experts and thought leaders to bring you the latest developments in the world of mental well-being. My guests talk about their personal well-being journeys and how they look after the well-being of themselves and their teams. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, today on the show, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Mel Upton. Mel is the APAC CEO of Positive Group, a mental well-being business focused on leadership training and group learning. Before joining the well-being revolution, Mel was a legal professional. I want to dig into that for 25 years and survived working and leading IP law practices in several law firms. In her time in the profession, Mel was involved in many internal and sector-wide programs focused on improving mental well-being outcomes in the industry. So she brings a great depth of experience to the conversation today. Thanks. Thanks, Mel. Lovely to see you. I hear you're in uh, in uh, in sunny Auckland, not cold Sydney. So... Um, Welcome. Fabulous, fabulous to be here. Um, arrived last night and have to say it's very rare, but uh, much warmer temperatures in, in New Zealand currently in, uh, in Sydney and Melbourne. But uh, always yeah. great to be back after such a long period of time. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? I came over Sydney. I'm over there next week. It's just great to be reconnected. Um, you know, so how was your anxiety? How, how do you feel about traveling? Because I got a bit anxious, to be fair. I think last time we actually met in person, you were coming to Sydney and you spoke very honestly about the flight across the ditch uh, and, you know, some of the triggers that it um, created for you. I guess for me, um, I was reflecting on, on that, but also your question now. Uh, one of the great things that my experience, I guess, in 25 years in law is that the connection with the world so um, my anxiety subsided, I'd have to say, the, um, the soon as I could get back on a, a plane and connect with colleagues and, and friends. So I, it probably had the reverse to me where I felt, you know, being in COVID, in, in lockdown, quite isolating. I am absolutely fascinated about your past, Mel, because there is one profession that I think needs to take a really good, strong look at themselves um, and for many reasons of which we can discuss, not all bad, uh, but the law profession, Mel, and then to well-being. So how did that come about? And tell me a little bit about the profession of your past and what drove you to be where you are now. Yeah, so uh, I started off in, I've had three stints in, in law firms, so um, all, big, all big law uh, and the last one a global law firm. Um, with lots of management responsibility across countries and um, different cultures, which was a real privilege uh, and a real learning experience too. Um, but in terms of my area of practice, so I'm an intellectual property lawyer, which um, usually working with lots of companies, looking at their brands, copyright strategies, IP strategies, it's a very relationship-driven um, area of practice. So that suited who I am uh, as a person. So it ticked a couple of boxes there. Um, love people. Um, recognised very early on in my legal career um, that health and wellbeing needed to be a priority uh, and as a very junior lawyer was quite um, vocal uh, within the organisations that I was part of that the, a lens had to be put on not just physical health but mental health and I consider health generally is where we need to, need to go. Um, 
and clearly given some of the um, the pressures, the demands, uh, and if you think about a lawyer's day where um, you build out to uh, your serving clients' needs, um, it's your intellectual sort of capital, you're not producing widgets or um, so people, you know, clients are looking for you to help them um, in terms of getting out of difficult situations or accelerating whether it's transactional or, or a piece of litigation. So it's usually high pressure uh, and clients will tend to come to you uh, when you're needed to fit a, pers a, a, certain, um, a certain remit. So th that, that does drive quite a lot of pressure. Um, but it is that intellectual piece that we, you know, we, are, we are adding. The value that we add to a, a client's day-to-day -day is very much the function of our of our brain, um, the expertise that we actually deliver in those those situations. The the thing that interests me the most is uh, so I'll stereotype this a wee bit. Um, you know, there's 15 partners. They work ridiculous hours. They've worked really really hard to um, get to where they are. They expect it of the people who are coming up. It's survival of the fittest. How do you how do you, if you know someone who's running a law firm here or involved in that, how do you get that balance right from performance? We call it at Groove, we call it performance care. We do a lot around um, which comes first, and I sort of talk about it as yin and yang, right? Mm. Um, so they're both as important. But in, in law firm, there, there, there is, and once again I'm stereotyping, there is a, a, a sort of written or secret thing that if you get in there, you've got to work your butt off. Uh, it's, I can't disagree with it. Uh, I think the way that I managed and, and I absolutely love my career in, in big law, uh, it was very early on, I, you know, there were, there, well, there was some family history in terms of depression and anxiety and I challenge anyone that doesn't have an off day. Um, I think the trick is to be able to acknowledge and be comfortable in that and then adapt in terms of what you need to do uh, to manage that sort of personal sort of situation because ultimately if you are working in a team and you're feeling fat or burnt out or whatever it might be then you that will you know transfer to those in which that, that, that are around you so I think it's around being that sort of self-awareness uh, and if you're having an off day sort of owning it um, very difficult for some personalities in the law to do that because, as you say, um, there's a lot of stigma attached to um, and type A personalities, perfectionistic traits. Um, I think one thing early along for me, I, I had a wonderful senior partner in, um, in one of the law firms I was part of and she absolutely had expectations around client service and delivery and, um, uh, you know, really driving the practice um, forward. But at the same time, um, she was the person that uh, that saw something in me that, in terms of having a sustainable career, I needed to do some work. And I did a. She led me to a, a, a course, a transcendental meditation course, and she had done that herself. Uh, and you know, in layman's term, I, the way I describe it is, it's just emptying your brain. You come up, you know, with a mantra, and if I um, I can't tell you what that is because it's very top secret. Um, but it's around emptying your brain, and you think about the, a day in the life of a lawyer, and it's it's incredibly um, sort of inter the, the demand on your sort of intellect is is constant, and the pressure is there in terms of client delivery. 
So the environment itself absolutely um, does challenge, but I think to learn those skills and to actually, from an individual perspective, to be able to recognise when you get a bit wobbly and that's okay. So the conversation within the law firm, it needs to be talked about a lot more. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't think we're where we, we, we thought we would be. Um, the demands um, are still there. Um, but I think there are, there are pockets where um, there is an acknowledgement that this does need to change. And, 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 and I don't want to digress too much, but if you think about the Corporate Mental Health Alliance, and you and I will connect on that later in the week, that is um, a group of corporates that reflect a range of sectors and industries that have come together because collectively they're more powerful together than they are separately. And I think if you look at the day in the life of a lawyer, um, they only have control of certain things. And I do think there needs to be a contribution by all stakeholders in that relationship to ensure that it's a sustainable experience um, is there. The other thing is, if people want to work hard, that's okay too. So if, um, you know, and the profession is known for demanding days and late nights and but I think in the way that what we've learned from COVID is that there are ways in which you can manage your day to, in, to introduce, you know, other parts that, that need some attention. Um, and hopefully we're working towards more of an output uh, or value um, mentality rather than a bums on seats mentality, which big law um, still has some trouble with. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I talk about it often, performance care, you know, hard work is fine. I think because well-being is so new, people think that it's like a mate of mine says, oh, how many trees are you going to hug, JK? You know, there's this perception that if you care for someone, then it's, you know, their productivity is going to go down. We think it's exactly the, exactly the opposite. But another point you raised, Marilyn, this is me just reading into stuff. Um, you know, you said, I presumed that you'd had enough with law and a bit burnt out and now you're in well-being, but it doesn't sound like that. You, you loved your career and, and, and so tell me about that, what you loved about it and how come you decided to, to make the change um, into well-being? Yeah, it's a very good question. I've always been active in, as I said, in, in mental health and well-being uh, in, in each of the organisations I've been part of and also in the, in the legal profession and in the market. So um, uh, I, I talk quite a lot. I work with law societies. I, I, you know, I've spoken to, been invited by various clients over the years to come and talk to them about their own um, you know, health and well-being, um, mental health or ill health um, approaches. Um, so, you know, big corporates that have seen something that we've been doing um, that I've led that they wanted to hear about. So I, I, I enjoyed that absolutely um, in creating and, and bringing the, uh, I guess, the, the voice to this issue. Um, I, I think where I got to after 25 years, I wanted to, uh, I love the sort of leadership aspects of, 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 the, of the, the career that I've had uh, and the ability to influence that change. And if I was thinking about where I was really passionate about, uh, it's in this area. Uh, I, I do think if you think about, a, a, again, going back to a day in the life of a lawyer, it can be quite isolating, it can be quite lonely, it takes a lot of concentration. Um, that still remains a challenge. But I do think, um, and I made a contribution in that space, but going back to um, what we can do uh, as a country or as a community uh, or in the world, um, I think 
you know, I've got something to, to contribute to to ensure that we uh, we keep on putting some some light on this topic and hopefully seeing some improvement. If I can talk a little bit about, um, you know, you, you've written about your first-hand experience with someone suffering from serious mental well-being issues, the stuff you've learned from your 25 years in law and now being a well-being lead in, in, in the positive group. So um, maybe just explain that story and, and what advice would you give to yourself pre that and what advice would you give to a leader in a law firm right now that's got a group of um, you know, ambitious, young, hardworking uh, people below the signs that you saw? Because people often say to me, what are the signs? What do I need to do? You know, how mm. do we get there pre it being a performance issue? Yeah, so the the, the, the story, the personal story, will, will always remain very close um, to my heart and quite, quite fresh, really. It feels like yesterday. Um, I led an individual, very senior partner, very capable. Um, my whole, uh, the way I've operated over the years, I've enjoyed and and been in a very good position to actually hire speed part, people smarter than me. So this individual is an incredibly talented lawyer. Uh, I respect immensely in terms of his client skills, his people skills, his reputation in the market. So it ticked all boxes. Um, but there were some there were some things that were going on clearly, and um, what I could see and identify, uh, and I'll come back to your second question as to what leaders need to do to improve their ability to see um, what's going on. Um, absenteeism, sort of inconsistent behaviours, erratic behaviour, um, uh, you know, some not you know attending sort of regular regular meetings, and and obviously leaders and partners uh, cast along shadow and so it becomes very clear very very quickly um, and I approached that situation and I, as I call it and he calls it an intervention uh, and it was one of the hardest things I've done in my life but actually um, I've never regretted doing it uh, and the important process around that was to engage with you know other leaders or, or management that I had you know in the time to ensure that I was conducting it in, a, in the right way, um, external providers to ensure that we were going to create a safe place and the necessary support. Um, and I remember the morning that we had the discussion and I pretty much called it. And uh, he had spent a lot of time um, denying and making excuses and you know um, coming up with stories. And I think the individual found it incredibly exhausting uh, and a huge relief once we got it on the table. Uh, he spent some time out of the office. We absolutely made sure we supported him. But I think the important thing in those situations, it's not just the individual, but you want to make sure that the family is aware of what the firm is doing, um, the importance of communication uh, sensitively and appropriately with the team members. You know, these are individuals that are loved, respected. And as you said at the beginning of the conversation, we spend an awful lot of time together and arguably some you know time more than you spend with your family and friends. Um, and also to ensure that um, you know there was a place for him to come back, uh, because ideally, you know, the, the individual gets gets well. Um, and he's told his story publicly. Um, and if you had a look at Minds Count uh, Foundation lecture where I chair that that board, his story is there. Um, and he came back, and uh, you know, and the rest is history. Um, 
he is in, he's no longer with the firm. I think one of the challenges around that is still stigma, uh, and that may have been uh, not not from the firm's perspective. It could be just you know needing a, a new start, a fresh start. Um, never really navigated that aspect, uh, but he is alive, well, thriving, happy, um, and doing what he loves. So to me, a success story. What would I have done differently? Um, I left it too long. And, and part of that is not knowing what the answer is. And that's a really difficult thing, uh, particularly when, as a lawyer, you know what a client needs. Your expertise is sought out. Uh, in these situations, you're dealing with humans and behaviours, and, and there is absolutely a fear that you'll get it wrong. And I think, you know, to me, that was probably spinning around for a little bit too long, uh, and I, I didn't realise the deterioration on on the situation, both from the individual's perspective, but also the team. So, and and also me, because there are still times when I tell the story uh, in sort of intimate settings, I will get upset. Mm. So tell and that's me, okay. yeah, that's okay. That's beautiful. It means you care. Um, you know, I say to say to people, um, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be like that. In oh, fact, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to be upset about something. But you mentioned the word; it was really hard for you. So, what what was the what what was the your your psych around why it was hard? Post that, was it warranted, or do you think it was part of the stigma? Um, less about the stigma. I think it was more of me causing some sort of shame to the individual. And I felt uh, real uh, nervousness about having, you know, that concept, making sure that the individual felt um, felt okay and I wasn't causing any further, um, I guess, suffering. I wasn't adding to it, piling it on um, and making sure that I did it in such a way that, um, you know, he felt that I was 100% supportive. So to me, not about stigma, more about how I approached the conversation, how I handled myself and what I did before, during and after. Uh, and, and I'm actually very proud about how I handled that. Yeah, and the reason I'm digging into it, I think it's every leader's um, question to themselves. So tell me about the process you went through to make sure that you had all your ducks in line to do those things you mentioned, look after the individual, make sure he's got the support he needs, also supporting his family, but also the other side is the sensitive side, you know, because if you come to me and I say this, I've yelled my mental health from the rooftops, right? I don't care, but it's still your mental health. You know, you don't run around the office saying, shit, I've got blood pressure, I'm taking two pills, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and you don't have to do that with your mental health. So I'm very, very interested in, in actual how you prepared yourself. And you obviously did an amazing job. Congratulations. So what was what did you go through um, with your lawyer mind to make sure you arrived at that meeting and nailed it? So I, I immediately went to senior leadership within the firm. And at that time, it was at an international level um, and had confidential conversations because I needed assistance myself. Uh, and also including the expertise of our people and HR uh, team. Um, so I made sure I was comfortable around that area. Um, I put in place, uh, I actually engaged an external um, psychologist 
um, to pre, really uh, pre, pre having the conversation with with him because I wanted to uh, understand from that perspective and we didn't have that in-house so you know they're best at their craft so I wanted to 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 get personally some comfort uh, and obviously all within you know the visibility of the the HR and but in a very confidential way um, I then you know we had a script you know it, you know these are difficult conversations I made sure that um, you know when I was going to have the conversation with him the, the time of the day I was going to have the conversation um, and also you know what what I would do um, because I was concerned about his safety and the call that I would make to family or or, or others to ensure that we made sure that he he could get home in the in the right place um, in the right um, and in a safe way uh, and I um, I then had the the conversation I also had uh, you know uh, during that conversation very clear about the, the other conversations I would like to have and that included you know with the team members and with clients and um, fortunately we could agree on um, on, on what we would those sort of communications which was which was fabulous uh, and I wanted to make sure I did that in during that conversation so he felt reassured and comfortable um, and that's what some um, you know that's what we did so I did it you know the morning um, and uh, went through the things that I needed to do and um, and then I remember at the end and um, you know Wifi was going off to, to head home and um, grabbed his things and um, I remember his, his senior lawyer at the time said to me um, you know Mel he knew you know what was going on he's working with him very closely so um, but he said what do I say and I said well what would you like to say uh, and he said um, I want to tell him I love him I said do it so <laughs> and so see, I get upset. <laughs> but um, I remember at the lift, and he, said, and he said, you know, I love you and I want you to come back. So all of those things needed to be thought out as the leader. Uh, and then I called um, clients with the individual's consent because we're a business and clients need to make sure that their legal needs are looked after. So we had to have continuity and had to have a plan. Uh, and all but one client um, stuck with the firm, which is pretty impressive. That's very, very impressive. And, and 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 how did you? What was the conversation? Were you open about his mental health, or just sabbatical, or what? Um, he was. Yeah, we had an agreed message, so I wouldn't. I didn't. Sure. You know, breach that. And yeah. um, I just um, communicated that he he needed to look after his health for a period of time. And this is our plan to ensure that there's continuity and um, your needs are met. And if there's any questions, then you call me directly and I'll, I'll handle it as a relationship partner would. And look, the reason I'm digging and thank you, Mel, for, for your care and your emotion, that makes me emotional. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but I think in the reason I dug so deep is that in this situation, when it's an emotional issue like this, sometimes people, they, they feel that pressure and they know how hard it is and then they don't do the preparation. And I think the preparation around this is is fundamental. But let's, let's shift the focus a wee bit. Yep. Um, let's shift the focus. <laughs> that was beautiful. We both had a little cry, so that's all good. Um, so tell me about the positive group and tell me a little bit more about what you guys do and your ambitions as a company. 
So the positive group, um, the co-founders are father and son. So uh, Brian Marion and Will Marion. Uh, it's um, 10 years young, uh, I, I call it. I, and actually, it was a very easy decision for me because to join because I was actually a client of theirs. Um, so they came into uh, the previous law firm I was at and I engaged them um, not only for, for me but, but for the, the leadership team and, and, the, and the, the team that I, I ran uh, and so they worked with a number of colleagues so I was actually the beneficiary of their programs. Their whole approach is, is looking at sort of psychological health and performance and um, they work across a number of disciplines so psychology, neuroscience, medical sciences. And anyone that works in professional services, particularly lawyers, you need the evidence and data um, for you for you for you to get them in the room and to stay in the room. So, um, to me, that was quite appealing. They've got this wonderful, um, really intimidating group of psychologists, but also this fantastic style around communication. So, for me, you can have all of the talks in the world, but if you're not actually practicing and bringing that, putting it in the water, it's a it's a waste of time. So for me, that was quite appealing. Um, and they look at, um, you know, all sorts of um, performance factors. Um, you know, uh, there's a, a leaders program, which is around essentially upskilling the psychological skills. So when we talk about, um, I think your question to me earlier was, what do you, you know, leaders, how do, how do they see that things aren't going well? So it's about equipping leaders um, and leadership doesn't start just at our levels. Um, it starts the moment you walk into, in my previous scenario, you know, in a law firm, you're a, you're a leader as a graduate coming in, you're supervising, um, you know, um, secretaries, you're engaging with front of house, you're talking to clients, you're, so that leadership capability, I think, has to start from grassroots um, and actually you then top down, bottom up, you then get it in the water and you start talking, saying, well, this is how we do things around here. So problem solved. So a big problem to solve, but issues around awareness um, and regulation. So, you know, unpacking that from a leader's perspective. So the relationship between pressure and performance, and you'll know that all too well uh, in many things that you've done in life. Um, and the sort of the handling stress. And as you and I've discussed, not all stress is bad stress, um, but it's around that sort of, um, uh, insights and, and, and emotional awareness and also the ability to be aware of others, which is, is something which um, is, is probably forgotten a little bit. Um, focus, so, you know, how do, we, how do we focus? There's lots of intensity in terms of, and COVID actually has demonstrated that, um, empathy uh, and the mindset. Um, so how do we look at ourselves, looking at the future, unpacking optimism and pessimism? How do they intersect? How do they play against each other and with each other? And lastly, connection and collaboration. And if anything that COVID has taught us, um, the rule, uh, you know, issues around isolation, um, probably some challenges to separate um, work and home. Um, you know, the boundaries have been flexed a little bit and there's been some wonderful things around the new way of working. but. Uh, again, you know, being very aware of um, connection uh, and also, you know, isolation in, in, in that respect too. So, I think uh, one of the interesting things you said before when we were talking about the anxiety of, of flying was, um, you know, you're obviously an extrovert, love people, love being around people. It gives you energy. I'm, mm. I read a book called Quiet. It was really interesting yeah. because I realised that I'm a introvert that likes being an extrovert but I need to recover my energy. So yep. um, 
you know, how do you in 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 the work that you're doing now with the positive group, you know, you, you spoke about optimism and, and pessimism. I mean, do you get the people to really look at their personalities and understand how that might affect them as leaders? Because it, it must be relatively new ground. We sort of just take for granted really how we are when we don't look at some of those things often, do we? Yeah, I, I think it, I don't think it's new, but I think actually the way in which um, – we are now looking at it in, a, in a corporate world in because um, and, and the connection between leadership you know behaviors driving performance and the protective factors you can introduce in, into an organization um, so I do think there the, the the conversations we're having um, and the and the importance I think in terms of uh, and the and also the pressure on leadership is is huge and I think that has been accelerated due to COVID. Um, your very best leaders will still need to continue to work on their on their on their on their skills. Um, and if you look at, you know, the people are everything really. If you don't get the people piece right, then you're in all sorts of trouble. So it doesn't matter which organisation or where you're coming from. I think the the ability to build your skills, your psychological skills, um, and looking at you know those four things: mindset, connection, awareness, um, and and focus are really key planks. Um, so I, I, yeah, it's, um, and I do now think, um, in a in more direct way of answering your question, it's now in the boardroom. So these things used to be considered optional or, you know, let's look at it. We've got a bit of spend. What, what can we, what can we, um, what we can tack on to give to our people from a reward and recognition piece. It's no longer there. The conversations that I've been having over the last sort of six months, very much around the board and executive, and also the HR and people, uh, you know, mental health teams are absolutely key, but that's non-negotiable and there's nowhere to hide now. So I, I think that um, that is in a very exciting place to be and probably a lot different than where we were 10 years ago. So I think the science has always been there, but I actually think where it's now from a priority perspective, from an organisation perspective, has shifted dramatically. Yeah, well, Adam Clark and I, um, you know, Adam's uh, the co-founder here with me at Grove, incredibly successful in his own right. And both of us firmly believe that the future of retaining great people and productivity is actually well-being-led leaders, genuinely looking after people's well-being. But I think a core science understanding of, of, of those things is important. What was the First thing that you going from 25 years in law to now being in this role, what was the biggest thing that you had to adjust to and learn? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, for me, it, it, it went from uh, a 500 uh, community, so uh, and I had my leadership team would represent 25 countries, so it was huge. Um, I went from that to um, 30, 40 headcount uh, and both in, you know, a very a growing one. So what we're trying to do in this part of the world, the bulk of which is in the UK. So the size, the community piece was not just because it was during, you know, we're working in sort of COVID or coming out um, and we're moving around a little bit now, but at that time I was in Sydney um, and I was also at the beginning of COVID leading that 500 
headcount in 25 countries, uh, but it still felt a community. So I think that's shifting community. Um, so how do I how did I deal with that? Um, I'm still a big believer that you could do this, um, and this is great. Uh, but I love connecting with people in person. So uh, I jumped on the plane as soon as I could at the end of February when I started the new gig and I went to London and, you know, we had a, a fantastic day together uh, getting to know each other and a very different um, uh, proposition in terms of where people have come from joining the positive group. So psychologists, um, uh, more sort of organisational um, safety sort of people, um, some corporates, their marketing and, and sales background and some consulting background, very different than laws, than, than law firm environment. So um, a lot of difference, but also a lot of familiarity too, because um, one thing that I really love to do is to, wherever I'm at, gravitate to the coalition of the willing and to be an organisation that we're firmly 100% looking at the sun together is, um, is pretty exciting. And tell me, I think one of the things, once again, that Adam and I concentrate on here, you've got to have the well-being sorted out in your own house. <laughs> and, yep. and so what were some of the things that you're doing now to make sure you're protecting your people that are actually, you know, front-facing, trying to look after other, other businesses and giving them that, that positivity around, you know, psychological safety and well-being? Yeah, it's a, again another really interesting question um, because me coming in was a huge amount of change for what was predominantly a UK-based organisation. So here's the girl from Oz that sort of comes in out of 25 years of law and I'm sure they all thought, what's this about? Um, so I think one of the, there's a few things. I think spending time together, uh, that really active listening uh, and really, you know, getting people to talk, what they do, um, you know, that was a really big thing for me coming into the organisation, I, you know, and that's why I went straight over and I met them and I wanted them to get to know me and we had a few few beers at some good English pubs and, um, you know, all of that really good good social stuff um, plus the sort of business piece because obviously we've got ambitions to to grow um, given the, the need in this part of the world. So to me it was about um, coming together and... And, and they're very good, positive group, are very good at connection, like the regular meetings um, you know, around the ground, sort of a Monday afternoon, Monday you know, evening, early evening for me. Um, and then they spend a lot of time debriefing, talking to clients, sharing experiences. So, um, and there's some very good, um, you know, obviously, relationships that have been in there for, for a long time. And I think the culture is also, it, it, it's enabling. They want, um, it, it was very clear to me that the way in which Brian and, Will had led the organisation or lead the organisation is their their strong appetite to get people's view and voices. So, and I think that is that is essential because we don't know all the answers. Um, the other thing that I do is um, I just bring humour to it. So um, I'm always <laughs> self-deprecation is to me a really good circuit breaker, and um, I'm very honest to say I don't have I don't have all the answers. How do you actively listen? I think it's one of the biggest challenges for everybody. I'm still practicing it. I think be curious. So ask the questions, you know, what's, um, and also be a bit brave. Uh, ask questions that you may or, I don't know, may not feel, you know, you've got the answer or whether you um, take a chance. So, and I, I guess position that with, um, 
you know, me being a typical lawyer, sort of position a little bit with, uh, I understand if you're not comfortable answering this, but I'd be interested in your view on blah. So I think curiosity is incredibly powerful and gathering that information um, is uh, not only a good practice, but I think it's essential because you really get to know what really drives the individual and, you know, where they're really motivated in bringing their best self to the organisation they're part of. Burnout. Um, for me, I've always believed it's a mental health issue. I have been clinically depressed, but I've also been burnt out. Um, when I was burnt out, I didn't realise it was a mental health issue, and it's actually post mal. It was actually post my depression. So I thought I was okay because I wasn't <laughs> depressed, mm. which is a hell of a place to be, literally. But I was burnt out and didn't recognise it. I, that's all I hear now, burnout, 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 and I think it is a real issue. A, have you ever suffered, or if you haven't, what are the signs and what are some of the things you're talking about within Positive Group about how executives deal with that? Because it is a big executive issue. Yeah, um, to answer your question, have I? Absolutely. Um, was I always aware of it? No. Um, but I think some of the triggers with burnout, it could be disturbed sleep. Um, it could be over, overthinking certain things. Uh, it could be ruminating. Um, I think, um, you know, being um, maybe too, uh, you know, rushed um, and not reflective enough. Uh, and then, you know, that, that obviously has an impact on, on, on others. So um, I do think uh, burnout is... is means very different things. Uh, I think the ability to be able to be aware both from a mental and a health physical perspective is, 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 is key, but not, it's not 100%, not, it's not perfect. But for me, where I would notice it, um, you know, sustained periods of, uh, of, of stress or, um, and then that demonstrates it, you know, not getting enough sleep. So, you know, that whole 3 a.m. piece means uh you know things aren't, aren't aren't that great um i think too for me from a physical perspective if i can't enter the boxing ring or walk my border collie very early in the morning then i know something's not quite up so getting a bit lethargic not feeling like doing much um and probably withdrawing means you know there's some there's some signs some signs there and what do you do? Because I'm the same as you. So really interesting. You talked about ruminating. So this is when I was coaching the Blues, by the way, third season, losing every single game. Um, I would ruminate too much. I'd procrastinate. So I wouldn't make decisions that normally yeah. were easy for me. Um, I started losing my confidence and actually my ability um, and started to lose confidence in those around me, which was totally unfair um, at the time. But... I now know the signs. So when you know, when you see those signs, you're not walking your dog or you're not getting in the boxing ring or you might be sleeping, what do you do to, to prevent that then? Um, well, I do think you need to be aware of it's happening. So I step back and figure out what, what's not working and whether I need to uh, just sort of take some, not time off, but actually shift, shift a gear a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe do something I really love, like I, you know, and 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 be a bit selfish around around that. Um, I think the other thing is I've I've had um, professional help in terms of uh, coaches. Uh, so any sort of time I've had a different opportunity, that transition period, um, 
and and it can be you know can be quite lonely too because you know one role you've had and then you're moving to another so how do you transition how do you how do you step out how do you find that flow again um, how do you back yourself uh, how do you how do you get to know people how do you instill confidence all of that stuff so I think one thing is um, you know lawyers have this view that they don't need help uh, and I'm a big believer that um, you know it takes a village so whether it's your friends or family or if you, and if you're blessed like that then fabulous and I am um, but also if you need some professional help in terms of a good professional coach or then do it um, and I, I think one of the things is to the ability to compartmentalize has its role so um, it, it doesn't you don't have to you know fall over or, or um, I think the ability to go okay I need to compartment or contain this a little bit and go to you know, and, and, and deal with it in certain ways. I don't. I think that's a, a healthy approach. Can you learn compartmentalisation? I met a I met a um, incredible, successful person who'd had some real trauma and tragedy in his life, and he openly admitted that his greatest strength in in, in life was to compartmentalise. Do you think you can learn yeah, I, it? I think you can. I, I, I think. I think what you have to be very careful about is, is aiming to um, to be perfect at it. So, people that know me well, whether um, particularly team teams that I've led, I talk about my eighty percent rule. So I'm not going to get everything right. It's not, but uh, what what you do from that is um, you keep you just push on. So uh, I think if you're looking at perfecting compartmentalizing things, you'll be bitterly disappointed. Because it, it, you know, it's 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 you. It's how you approach things. But if you um, if you give yourself a bit of a tap on the back, say so that wasn't too bad. Uh, it lasted for a little while. I was able to then focus on this. Then I think um, you know, that self reflection and probably affirmation, that little noise in your head, it's not a bad thing to to rely on. So the eighty percent rule for me um, is absolutely key, and I don't get it right all the time. I think that's amazing. Yesterday I spoke about being blissfully average. Yeah. I think that um, I, I went out, I was out at a function last week and the, the woman speaker said, you know, I, and she's an amazing woman in her own right, but she said, I'm blissfully average. You know, I ran a marathon, but I didn't have to win it. I just had to finish. And, yeah. I, and I really took that on board because I think that's, I'm learning the guitar at the moment. I'm two years in and I still sound like shit. But I'm blissfully average. It's not about actually being good at something. But just getting back to what you said about, um, you know, about, uh, you know, burnout. For me, I have a triple A battery, and I talk about it here at Groove. Um, my triple A battery is when my battery is low. I need to be aware. I need to acknowledge it, and then I need to act. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing you mentioned, did you have to teach yourself? And I think the, I think we'll have to come up with another word, Mal, because I don't think it's the correct word. But you need to be selfish to actually be able to give, especially when you're giving to your family, you know, your, 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 your partners or wife and husband, your workplace, your, you know, the 30 or 50 or 100 or 5,000 people under you. So how do you carve out that acceptance of being selfish because it'll make you better? Because that's what happens, right? You just think you need to work harder. Yeah, it's very short-term approach, I think. So, um, you know, if you're on that wheel, um, ultimately, you're not going to be good to anyone um, at all of those relationships you've just mentioned. Um, you know, I think it, 
trying to bring your best self to each situation. So this conversation or the, um, the call that I had earlier this morning or the exchange on email that just to be very conscious about, you know, where you're at and what you, you know, bringing that your best self. I think, you know, I work fast and uh, always have and, and, and people and I get through a lot. But I guess a reflection for me is, was it all necessary? You know, what was, what was I actually trying to achieve? Um, and I think things that, um, that come up in my mind, don't sweat the small stuff. A lot of stuff can just pass to the keeper. Mel, how do you, here, here at, uh, at Groove, we talk about being in your groove, you know, when you're functioning well and feeling well. Um, you know, how, how, do, how do you get in your groove? Uh, exercise is huge for me. Um, so if I don't exercise, then there's a bit of a, there's already a creak in the, in the system. So uh, I love boxing. Uh, I found that during COVID. Uh, I love hiking. So I grew up in the Blue Mountains, which uh, that was my backyard. So outdoors for me is absolutely key. Um, I think, you know, you've got to get your, look after you in terms of diet and health and um, to bring your best self. And we all, have it, you know, we all let that slip from time to time, which again, don't punch yourself up over that. But I think that's really important. Um, and just have the time, and you mentioned it, which actually I, I could be exactly your personality. You do need to have that self time to just let things, you know, roll over and just um, really reflect. And I think you, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whatever role you have, whatever organization you're part of if you have that ability to sort of stop and reflect and really re-energize I think you'll bring your best self so they're not easy practices to do every day and there's lots of things now that the world's getting busier so you know it was a lot easier to be able to do a meditation in the morning and not you know have it to navigate airports or or, or roads or, or anything like that but I still think you need to try to do those things that you know um, contribute to you being your best self. What are you reading? Don't be selfish right? about it. Reading right now, so I'm reading Sydney Portier's autobiography, which is oh, wow. Yeah, which um, I haven't got far through it because <laughs> I'm waiting for the the holiday in a few weeks' time. But um, that's a really interesting read. Uh, so I'm 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 loving it. What podcast are you listening to? Yours, uh, and uh, but others that I go through. Um, World Economic Forum. Um, I'm a huge fan of Julia Gillard, so our former um, Prime Minister. Yeah. So she's got a podcast. She's a wonderful, uh, inspirational her husband, woman. Her husband did some amazing stuff in mental health for men, if I believe rightly. I mean, I think I'm, so. Yeah. Did, did the red sheds or whatever they were. It was amazing. Yeah. And she's, you know, lofty heights of, of government um, roles, and she's absolutely flying she's thriving she's making a huge contribution so she again is a, is a good um a good example of you can shift gears and do other things um and i think uh anyone else no i don't oh the other one i love i love to listen is um it's tennis world or something i'm a huge roger federer and rafa fan so i'm just hoping one of them takes the trophy in wimbledon in a couple of weeks time nice that's a bucket list for me wimbledon um so, who should I interview next? So I uh, you, now this was a question that I did have up my sleeve, and um, 
there is a fabulous, the CEO of Rowing Australia. Um, oh, wow. You know, my son's he, a rower. Ah, well, there you go. I had the privilege of um, doing a bit of this. So he was on a panel that I, um, that I, I chaired. Uh, and what a wonderful man. So I'm very happy to, to connect you. So he was very, yeah. very active in and spoke about um, performance uh, and mental health as the teams were getting ready how many times to go to the Olympics yeah. and, and, and how that pressure and change in circumstance and, and holding that performance as they navigated really difficult circumstances. So he would be my, my recommendation. Awesome. This is what I've written down because, thank you, I've learnt heaps today. Um, hard conversations are hard, so prepare. Um, prepare to look after the individual. Make sure you bring that person's family into it. Be sensitive around the support that you organise and make sure you continue to communicate. I thought that was really good. And prepare yourself and the situation that you're going into. Actively listening can also mean to be curious. So to be curious is okay. Um, optimism and pessimism is something that we should all be aware of and what it does. And understand um, yourself a wee bit more around the science of what it is, whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, and then how you communicate that. Be aware of the signs of burnout. Um, some that we shared were ruminating, procrastination, lack of confidence, um, and act on it pretty quick. Mal, you've been absolutely amazing. I could talk to you for another hour. You made <laughs> me cry. We cried together, so that you makes did. Us, that, that, that makes us uh, that makes our day beautiful. Because I think um, if you can be a leader and you care that much, then wherever you work, it's going to be a pretty special place. Thank you for the time. It's been fantastic. And if there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, go off into the sunset. Well, thank you. So I feel really privileged that actually uh, I had the opportunity to, for you to be in sort of my orbit. Um, so, and I look forward to continuing that relationship. But uh, your summary, not bad advice. So hopefully that's um, uh, of interest to your listeners. And I look forward to the opportunity to talk again. And I'll see you soon. Thank you. This has been Open Minded with John Kuhn. Thanks for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe.